On today's show, we talk with Dr. Michelle Farmer, a pediatrician in Baltimore who works in the sexual and reproductive health services for adolescents and youth. Uh, we have with us today Dr. Michelle Farmer. She is a pediatrician in Baltimore. Welcome, um, Michelle. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Stephanie, for having uh, given me some time to talk with you on your program. Um, yes, I'm a pediatrician, and I've been working in Baltimore since I started my pediatric training. Uh, most of my work's been in public health, which means you see a lot of young people. Um, and part of my uh, work here involved being one of the assistant directors of school health, which meant I had to run school-based health centers. Um, so what was good about that was I got a chance to see a large number of young people uh, with a full range of problems, and it was uh, never dull. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine so. Um can you talk a little bit about uh, working in a school and in terms of menstruation access and, um, you know, people who are getting their periods at the time? And um, if you've seen anything about how, you know, schools deal with that. Yeah, you know, it's um, it, it is a it is a, 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 a it can be an, an interesting problem for um, for schools. Um, most of the schools I work with were in the inner city and um you know a, a lot of times it was anything from you know very basic issues like you know not having enough supplies you know we always had to make sure that we had you know plenty of both sanitary pads and tampons because i think there's some young people who particularly you know in the middle school would feel very very intimidated by tampons um and then there you know um you know, other times we deal with problems, you know, like, you know, menstrual disorders, what, what you know, we call menstrual disorders, but it, it can run the gamut from anywhere to uh, from, um, you know, having some really bad cramps and, uh, you know, um, uh, concerns for that uh, to the level of, you know, just worrying about pregnancy, you know, because they've missed a period. So we get lots of questions about, um, you know, what could be going wrong. Oh, yeah. And did you find that um, students were open or were they kind of uh, shy about talking about or a little ashamed or? Um... Hmm. You know, that's an interesting question, too. Uh, I I think that most people were willing to talk with um, the nurses and, you know, with the uh, with me. Well, I was basically the lone doctor. I really actually loved it because, you know, we basically had a nursing model for care. And I, I think it was much more sort of supportive of the school environment and the, of the young people. So I think there was a sense of trust that a lot of the people had with the nurses, that they felt they could talk to them. And, um, you know, the nurses were generally assigned to that school all the time. So that was another uh, feature of school-based health centers that we really liked because, you know, you'd have one nurse who was there all of the time. And even in the summertime, some of the nurses were covering their schools. So, you know, the the school clinic 
you know, was viewed by many people as a place they could feel comfortable, they could trust people. And, um, um, you know, of course, we also worked very closely with the, with the school staff, the education staff, so that students got in and out quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Um, it's nice that they felt that safety to be able to go to you and just talk about whatever was going on in their body. Because, um, you know, you hear the game. I mean, there's there's been people on the podcast that have been raised very open. And then there's other people that were like, oh, I've sat in a room and, <laughs> you know, watched a video <laughs> and that's it. Um, so it's nice. Everyone, you know, um, is always like, yeah, find the person you can talk to. So it's nice to know um, that, that that was something you felt that you had with the, the kids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was it was great. And I mean, you know, I I'd see, you know, I saw most of the people I saw, I was seeing mostly in consultation with the nurse. I mean, a lot of times they really understood and knew what was going on. But then, you know, like they just kind of wanted a second opinion. So, you know, I, I was seeing young people who had already been screened by the nurse. And, um, you know, I had good relationships with, uh, with you know, with the, uh, with the nurses. So by default, I also had good relationships with the students. So it, it worked out pretty well. Great. And then you've also done international work. Um, you've right. worked with uh, NCD Child and the IAAH, right? Yes. Um, IAAH is the International Association for Adolescent Health. I'm a member of that organization, and, and they um, um, conveniently made me their ambassador at large. Um, and that means I get a chance to work in in consultation with um, their membership in all of the regions. So I'm, you know, I kind of go global on that. And then I'm the chair now of NCD Child. I became the chair about four months ago, and they focus on chronic diseases in children. And then, um, yeah. And then before that, I was working with an organization called Chapaigo, and they focus a lot on women and children's health so and that's international as well um yes yes yeah they've it's uh it's it's an ngo that's linked to johns hopkins oh okay and then can you just talk a little bit about um your experiences internationally when it comes to menstruation and um and working with adolescents um, could you repeat that question again? Yeah, of course. Could you just talk a little bit about um, your uh, experience internationally uh, with, you know, reproductive health and menstruation and um, working with adolescents abroad? Yeah, it's um, a lot more difficult working with um, adolescents in uh, lower uh, income countries because the resources are so diff- poor and difficult. And I think their understanding of um, you know, I think there's just sort of their worldview of, of development can be, um, you know, sort of based more on cultural framework. So it does make it a little bit different. Is it a, is it a cultural thing of, uh, you know, the separation kind of of men and women and how they're brought up? Like, like when you say culturally, I, I, I just want to understand a little bit better about how that impacts, um, like, the treatment and kind of the access that they have to some of the. Um, well, I think I think with a lot of, um, and I don't want to generalize because you know things are changing rapidly in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. That much is true, but also, um, I think that um, with a lot of young people, their lives changed dramatically 
uh, with girls. Their lives change dramatically once they reach, uh, uh, you know, the, the age of menarche, when they start having their periods. You know, they're going to school, they're having a great time, um, you know, they've got, you know, they're enjoying their peer group. But when you're in a, an, a poorly developed country and your school systems are not well equipped with decent water and sanitation, as an example, if you're really poor and buying, you know, sanitary supplies is a luxury, that makes school a luxury. So, um, you know, the family may say, look, we really want to see you go to school, but if, uh, if you don't have, you know, if you don't have a school that has, you know, has a girl's bathroom, if you don't have a school that, um, if you don't have, you know, some place where you can privately manage your, uh, you know, your, your menstrual supplies, things like that, well, then you're sort of, uh, in a difficult situation, okay, um, where attending school is very difficult. And if you have any particular menstrual problems where um, you have an exceptionally heavy flow or, you know, any anything that might make it complicated, it, it's, it's even more likely that you will, you know, drop out. So, the start of your menstrual, uh, your menstruation, which we call menarche, is really the sort of um, the start of a number of uh, changes in a in a girl's life. So even if she's not in a culture where child marriage is accepted and expected, going to school uh, may be very difficult for her. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So so these are some of the problems that we deal with. And it's actually been, you know, a lot a source of a lot of work that has been going on um, it, with regards to um, women's empowerment and improving access to services for women uh, in low income countries where we are seeing um, more um, more programs. I mean, like one of the there's a couple of really cool um, uh, programs where it's women's run enterprises that um, um, promote access to, and they actually make low cost menstrual products. Um, there are a couple of companies. I don't know that I should name them because they're actually two. They're actually more and more of them coming out. Um, some of the biggest ones I think are in uh, East Africa, but um, <clears throat> they're making products, they're making them available. Um, there's some water and sanitation programs that are pushing to have more sanitary um, you know, stations and schools so that keeping girls in schools <clears throat> doesn't, doesn't just mean fighting cultural norms. Keeping girls in school is about having a, you know, a safe place where they can safely uh, manage their uh, you know, their menstrual periods. Um, so you saw the, it wasn't just them missing a few days for it. it. It was like a full, they would drop out type thing. Well, yeah. I mean, mainly because they just don't have, you know, they, they just don't have a way to, uh, to manage, you know, they'll miss a lot of school um, mm -hmm. and, you know, teachers and, and the school systems are not all that tolerant. So, you know, they, they fall behind and then, 
they're not able to stay up with their, you know, with their, with their, with their, with their schoolmates. And, you know, so that's one of the, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that they could have. Oh, yeah, for sure. Did you find anything um, here in the States, too, with kind of um, less with sanitary, but more with like um, economics of it all, of people who maybe couldn't afford uh, the types of menstruation products to, you know, manage their period? Even though we have like the sanitation, um, there isn't, you know, these products cost money to buy. Well, you know, not so much. I mean, Baltimore is a city that, you know, that does have a high rate of poverty. Not so much. I think what I find um, is there, I think there's sort of a confluence of events that occur around the time of menarche for girls. Um, One is... um, I think financial, you know, like you say, there's, you know, there, you know, buying supplies is, is a headache and, you know, making sure that we keep up with those things are, are, are a good thing. Um, but then there's also the issue that, you know, most young people, girls who begin to menstruate, they're probably in, uh, in the last years of elementary school entering middle school, school's starting to get a little bit tougher. Um, the classrooms are getting bigger. Um, I think uh, families um, who are not very well educated may struggle with how to help their children with their you know, studies and with their schoolwork. If there's any school failures or school challenges, um, if there's any socialization problems, it's sort of easy. It's sort of an easy cutoff point for um, for girls to begin to miss uh, school, do less well in school, and um, so I, you know, I, it, I can't really say we blame it on the menses, but but there are sort of this confluence of events around early adolescence that can be problematic for. Uh, you know, for young people who live in poverty, even in this, in this country. Um, yeah, totally. And um, just in terms, uh, well, you've already talked a little bit about how it's culturally over there and culturally over here. I think there's just such a wide range of um, basically because, you know, America, we have people from all over um, in terms of how, you know, different people approach periods and, and what it means to people, um, and how their like parents approach them about it. And do you have any, like in terms of America, were you, you know, was that touched upon at all when you were working with kids with different, different cultures, um, in terms of like just culturally specific? Well, um, yeah, I think there are, um, you know, I think there are lots of, lots of issues. I mean, for example, if you've got a young person, uh, with a chronic disease, let's say someone who's got sickle cell anemia, and maybe um, they might have, um, um, you know, maybe they're very small for their age, and there's been a little bit of growth delay and developmental delay, and they may um, be a little bit delayed in starting their period. So, you know, they may be smaller than their friends and little bit less, you know, physically mature. So, you know, families might worry, oh, there's something wrong with my kid. 
when in fact it's just, you know, um, uh, a function of, you know, being chronic, having a chronic underlying disease. And I think with a lot of parents, they, you know, kind of expect like, you know, their son's going to be as tall as their dad and, and the girl is going to have, you know, her periods like her mother. And, you know, so there's, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, misunderstanding, if you will, about, um, uh, you know, what to expect in certain settings. I think also um, another problem that happens is um, a lot of people who aren't all that medically sophisticated, you know, they sort of come to think that, well, you know, uh, a, a girl is going to have her period every month. And in some cases, particularly in the early phases of your menst- menstruation, you don't have a period every month. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if it's go, if you're, you know, let's say 12 or 13 years old and, you know, you live in the city and you might even have a little boyfriend and you don't have mm-hmm. a period for two, two months, your mother's all over you because uh-huh. she thinks you could be pregnant, you know. <laughs> so I think there are a lot of... Um, challenges uh, a lot of challenges for uh young girls and their families because suddenly you know with the onset of your menses or lack thereof you know there's a lot of um you know a lot of a lot of issues that relate to you know parental expectation and sometimes even the uh, expectations of of uh young girls so Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have to counsel parents a lot of <laughs> issues, telling them, oh, "Don't worry, this could be just normal." Uh-huh. Uh, and, and sometimes counseling girls also. Um, so, and then we also sometimes have you know girls who are pretty young, and um, they um, may actually become sexually involved even early after menarche. Their periods are irregular. They may have a boyfriend they're having sex with, um, maybe intermittently, not, you know, like, not, you know, not having a, you know, like a regular partner or something like that. And then, you know, they're terrified that they could be pregnant. And it is a little, becomes a little tough to manage because, you know, you get a neg- negative pregnancy test. No, you're not pregnant. Not this time. But <sighs> can we please talk about yes. what we need to do? You know, so, so there's... um Sometimes it can get to be a little bit complicated uh, when we're trying to, you know, manage everything and keep keep all the factors of a young person's life in balance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was one of the the people. My period was super regular and um, it was awful and heavy and cramps. And right. at, at one point it, I was like throwing up and it wasn't until I was... I think I was 21 when I finally went on birth control and I was like, oh my God, (laughs) you know, like I would have loved this at 13 um, because it just like, it basically solved almost all of the issues. And so, uh, and the, and it regulated it. And I was just like, oh, and you know, I wasn't sexually active at 13, but you know, there was, there was that perception of like, oh, well, you only go on birth control if you're sexually active. And it's like, no, there's, it, it can help your body with other things too. Well, Um, that's one of the issues also. You've got someone who, um, you know, is having some menstrual irregularities. They could definitely uh, benefit from using birth control pills and their mother's like, oh no, Mm -hmm. we can't have that because that means you know, she's going to go out and have sex, you know? Yeah. Like, no, she's not. <laughs> you know, she just needs, because th- that's another reason why a lot of young 
girls can miss school because they're having a lot of menstrual cramps. They have, you know, a sort of like a perimenstrual syndrome where they're having headaches and mm-hmm. feel, you know, maybe they get migraines. They're really feeling crappy. And so, um, yeah, birth control pills can really help a lot with that. And, but you've got to try to convince a, a, a family, the yeah. parents, that, <clears throat> you know, hey, look, this will work, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, again, I went through it. And I didn't even I didn't even know that was an option when I was first going through it. And I wish I did to, like, be able to have a conversation with my parents <laughs> and being like, I promise you it's not this thing. Uh, it's really for my own health and my own benefit. Because it, it, definitely there were days when I woke up and I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to move from the bed. <laughs> You've right, awful. exactly, yeah. Uh, um, so yeah. yeah, for sure. We actually, um, also had a storyteller, um, on our show talk about endometriosis and, um, how terrible it was for her. And then I guess someone along the way either had told her or she heard of someone who was told to have a child <laughs> in order to take care of it, which is, uh, such a crazy thing to tell somebody, um, I yeah, I think yeah, I think part of the problem that um, people don't realize is you know these are very very common problems. They can be easily managed um, with many solutions other than pregnancy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know we just need. I I think part of it is um, we're now at a place where I think people are more comfortable you know, kind of talking about these things with the, you know, with their patients and trying to manage it. But and, and I think, you know, you do have to, with particularly with young women, you have to um, kind of get parents involved and get them to kind of, you, you, I don't want to say you're treating the parents, but you do have to reassure them and get them to be a little bit more, um, uh, you know, relaxed about what is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you find out that the problem was also a problem that the mother experienced, but she was, you know, kind of, you know, ashamed and embarrassed and, you know, does is carrying that shame and embarrassment, transferring that onto her daughter. Have you seen yeah. like in your time, since you've been doing this for a while, like, has have you seen it change for the better? Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the end of my question. Does <laughs> um, it change my? Well, um, I, I, you know, uh, to be honest with you, I, I have spent so much of my time taking care of young uh, women and girls without having a lot of parental involvement, and that's kind of, uh, you know, it sort of uh, a, has given me a lot more freedom to, you know, kind of reassure young people and educate them, you know, sometimes even before their parents get involved. So they can feel a little bit better about um, what's going on, um, um, you know, what's going on, um, you know, and then can feel more confident and comfortable you know, when we do talk to the parents. I mean, that's been my experience from the school-based health centers and some of the other health centers where I worked where they were very different from a doctor's office because we didn't, you know, we worked in schools. We saw the children, you know, young people first. And then only after that did we 
you know, then, you know, get, you know, get mom, um, pr- primarily with mothers or mm-hmm. whoever female head of household was, you know, get them involved. And in terms of internationally, too, um, do you feel it was the same way that, like, you know, educating the parents along along with the children? Yeah, you know, with in those settings, it's kind of interesting. Um, I haven't really been extremely involved with uh, clinical care, more with programs that deal with community health. And even there, that model's a little bit different, too. Um, We usually then work with community health workers or community nurses and try to get them to work on ways to solve these problems so girls can go back to school. Um, I do sense that these community health workers are a lot more interested the the changes they're a lot more interested in having these these girls stay in school Mm -hmm. and um you know once you've got these you know women's enterprises where women are making products so their you know their daughters and 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 their daughter's friends can have these products it's worked out to um their advantage to um um you know to so yeah the the climate's changed the climate has definitely changed. Well, that's awesome. Um, and what do you think we can start doing just overall, um, both, I mean, here and globally, too, um, just to, to continue making sure that we can move forward and, and deal with, you know, menstruation in a way that uh, it just better serves, um, that better serves our youth as they, you know, grow older. And, and I mean, because you're going to menstruate for a long time, hopefully. And, uh, you know, you it's not going to be a problem that's just like a year and then you're done. So um, if you I don't, if you have any ideas of things like we can do or, or ways we can help, and, and um, I'd love to hear any ideas. Well, I, I do think that what we want to do is we want to um, um, let people know that there's a broad range of what's normal. I mean, that's first and foremost. And then where there are, you know, problems that are a concern, you know, that are worrisome, whether it's, you know, you've got a lot of discomfort or you've got a period that doesn't show up all the time, you definitely want to, you know, um, um, have your, your, uh, you definitely want, you know, young people to, you know, to talk to their um, pediatrician about this. Um, And I think for parents, you want to make sure that you have an open channel of communication with your daughters so that they also feel comfortable, um, you know, talking to you so that they, you know, don't feel like it's some kind of a dirty secret. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the first thing I think we really want to, you know, normalize it. That's number one. And then number two, these are routine problems that a pediatrician, you know, uh, can and should take care of. And I generally prefer, you know, young people start with their pediatrician because um, it's a setting that's really, you know, made for for young people. It should be set up for young people of all ages through adolescence, you know, at the very least, at a minimum through the time they're going to college. So, um, 
you know, yes, maybe you may need a specialist once in a while, but by and large, you know, they should feel really comfortable talking to parents, talking to young people uh, about this and, and trying to make sure that, you know, we kind of chase away any of the misunderstandings mm-hmm. um, and the remedies, like you've mentioned, birth control pills, they can work. Um, trying to make sure parents feel comfortable that this it's, 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 it's a medication. It's not, uh, you know, it's not something that gives a young person, you know, license just to, you know, run fast and lose. <laughs> uh, and if they are, hey, they're being safe about it um, <laughs> in, yeah, in one it. way. <laughs> but um, I, I actually do want to ask, um, you know, when I was growing up, they did the thing where they separated the boys from the girls and we watched a video and we got a pad and all that stuff. And as um, an educator who still works in schools, do you, is that still how you do it? <laughs> or is there what? like, I don't uh, like, you mean like health ed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or is it more uh, sophisticated now, hopefully? <laughs> yeah, well, no, there's still a, a lot of that. But, um, you know, the the, the health ed uh, classes, the only problem is they. St- I think they still do a pretty crappy job. I mean, really. I mean, I, I'm sorry to say that. It's terrible. I'm, I'm not trying to say all teachers do a bad job of it. But um, I, I think it's still... Um, you know, a difficult subject to talk about. Um, some folks still feel like, you know, we can't talk about this in front of the boys. Um, oh, which is the worst because they're like the number one, <laughs> like that whole, all genders should know about what goes on with all genders. And like, uh, right. I, that's, I don't know. Sorry, I get a little passionate about that. Cause I'm like, how, how are we going to have um, people understand what we're going through if we don't talk about it? Right, exactly. Um, and that's, that is the problem. I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great teachable moment. And it is such, you know, this is such normal physiologic behavior and change. I feel like um, we could, um, uh, uh, you know, definitely um, use this as a time when, you know, we can talk about problem, you know, talk about these transitions in and growth and development and talk about it intelligently and not allow, you know, um, anyone to, you know, to pick on or belittle anybody about what what's normal for their bodies. So hopefully it'll be, I think it's a safe teachable moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, I think too, is like, um, you know, just in talk in terms of the the whole thing of opening this dialogue and having young people feel safe to even come to you as a professional to talk about it, like that is a huge step to be like, hey, I'm okay to talking about this in front of everybody so that everyone understands it. So you should be too, and you can always come to me. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm big on uh, on that, and just because. That's partly why I started this is because <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I felt like I had only, a, you know, a small amount of that. And I think it should just be way bigger. Uh, the small amount of meaning like openness. Um, so. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then um, just finally, do you have any kinds of thoughts that you want to put out there to young people who um, are starting to menstruate and are going through it and, and just any overall advice, thoughts, wisdom? <laughs> what would I recommend? Um, I I just feel that it's uh, a, a very important 
part of your uh, your life and life experiences to um, you know uh, to have uh, the initiation of of minces whenever you have it and however you have it and um, I think there should be an open dialogue to share any questions that you have because if you have questions everybody else has has questions too um, and that I think all girls should know that they have freedom to do and be whoever they are, whatever they want, um, at any time of the uh, the day, any time of the year or their month, and uh, not feel that this is a restriction at all, but this is an important life process uh, that you're you're entering. Um, you know, we should own it, be proud of it, and recognize that it's not going to stop you from doing anything that you want to do. Um, and if you have questions about that, you know, that's something that there's a community out there and their families who will help you uh, make sure you can continue to achieve your goals. Absolutely. I love that. And actually, I did want to follow up too. just um, have you seen anything in the future of kind of products and advancements with um, in terms of menstruation? You know, a lot now people are coming like you were saying in East Africa, they're, you know, doing low cost care. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, now we have such a range of options in terms of like the Diva Cup and then the IUDs. And um, have you seen anything else? Well, you know, I think that those are all really uh, good uh, products. I really, you know, I'm glad we're having more of uh, a variety. But unfortunately, for low income countries, um, they don't have the um, the money for those kinds of products. It's unfortunate, but um, I think it's coming. Mm-hmm. And I certainly think that these co- uh, companies that are making these new kinds of products should try find to find ways to innovate and make sure that they can be available at a low cost mm-hmm. uh, to women in low income countries. But, you know, these days it's still very much, um, you know, uh, the high income countries like the United States that have those. Yeah. And when you think of it, like things like the Diva Cup and even IUDs, they're they're longer term, you know, like because you can reuse a Diva Cup for a while and an IUD, right. you know, last five years. And um, so they potentially could be longer term solutions in that way. Yes, yes, that's true. But the problem is, um, uh, unfortunately, um, I think these companies know that they can um, uh, uh, keep the prices out of range of poor people. Do you see what I mean? Right. Even though you're going to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, you can reuse this and blah, blah, blah. But um, they they just don't have the uh, capital to buy them up front. I mean, that's and, – and these companies are not going to be in the business of – making it easy for them to get these things. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately. No, that makes sense. Um, very unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Well, hopefully that'll change at some point, or at least they'll do some sort of, there's some sort of um, program where it's like an 80-20 or something. I don't know. That's the yeah. <laughs> fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Michelle. This was fantastic talking to you. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. That's My Story Period is edited by Veronica Gruba and hosted by Campfire Media.
Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to get in touch with the show, email periodpodcaststories at gmail.com.